Hello, and welcome to Sean White's Solar and Energy Storage Podcast. So I was interviewed by Paul Brody of the Get Published Podcast about writing my book. The title of the podcast was Using Your Book to Become the Industry Standard. And they interviewed me about my book. And Paul Brody said that I could repost this podcast on my podcast. So here it is, folks. Welcome to the Get Published Podcast, sponsored by Brody Consulting Group. To get more information about our coaching, publishing, executive ghostwriting, and podcast production services, go to getpublishedpodcast.com. Hello, I am Paul Brody, and thank you for joining us for another episode of the Get Published Podcast, where we help authors get published with a proven system that works. Today, we're being joined by Sean White, author of Solar Photovoltaic, second edition. Sean, welcome to the show. Thanks, Paul. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Did I pronounce your book correctly? Oh, pre pretty good. Solar Photovoltaic Systems. So, yeah, you get, you've got an A. All right. Appreciate that. It's always nice to uh, get the New Year started on the right note. So, Sean, I want to welcome you to the show. We're glad that you're here today. And are you ready to get started with our five questions? I'm sitting here and I'm ready. All right, let's do it. Question number one. What is the one piece of advice that you would give to a first-time author who is currently writing their book? Um, here's a pretty obvious one is to not lose your book or not to lose your material. Um, I had an uncle that just passed away, and so I've been thinking about him a bit lately. And I remember he had a book and he lost it in his car or something like some somehow it got stolen out of his car. So don't lose your book. But also, um, I I work on a Mac computer and I have and I work with Microsoft Word. And I've had a number of times where my computer crashed. And I think you know I'm thinking like I have all the backup going and I have like every kind of backup where it backs it up every five minutes on my Word and it um and it and it backs it up with you know Dropbox or something similar to Dropbox. And somehow things get lost, or you know, even with something like Dropbox, you you can write over something that you've already done by clicking the wrong button. And I've I've lost you know a couple days worth of work before, and it's it and it seems like you lose a couple days worth of work, and instead of spending a couple of days to make up for it, you spend a couple of days and even maybe a couple more days trying to figure out how to revive that old information. And then you start on it again, and it's just it's it's not a good feeling to go in when you're writing. It gets you out of the wrong mindset when you're trying to make up for stuff that you already wrote. So don't lose your material. That that would be what I would say there. Well, that's what I was going to ask you as a point of clarification. When you mentioned about losing that book in the car, was that actually the manuscript that was lost? Yeah. So that yeah. So this was old time before they had computers, mm -hmm. and he was. Um, he was a gambler and different things, you know, like a d different kind of a writer than I'm a, t I'm a technical writer and he somehow lost it. I mean, <laughs> gambling probably goes with drinking and all kinds of things. And I can't really remember the specific details, but that's, that's the story that I heard. Yeah, it was funny. I was watching, uh, one of my favorite Christmas movies over the holidays, Love Actually. And there was this scene when the writer played by, um, Colin Firth, I believe, somehow is working on his manuscript old school on a typewriter. And I'm thinking to myself, why is this guy not working on a laptop? Then the, the lady that's helping him at the house, she lifts 
his, um, I think it was like a coffee cup, and then all the entire manuscript just all blew away and went into the um, went into the uh-huh. lake outside. And I'm thinking, what a dang fool! How in the world did you not at least have a backup or put it on a laptop? Um, one thing that I do as as a little trick with my books is after every evening that I'm writing the book, what I do is obviously you know hit and save and everything. But just to make sure to no issues, I'll actually send that chapter via email to myself. So I'll send an email going, get published, chapter one uh, completed, or chapter one halfway done, and actually send that file in. Because like yourself, I've had incidents where I've lost a day's work. And that's the last thing that you want to do because you're putting your heart and soul into it. You get everything, you feel accomplished, and then there's some sort of snafu with Microsoft Word. So as a tactic, one of the things that I do is I'll send the night's work, so to speak, via email. And I found that to be a really effective way to um, to, to, lot, to not lose too much of the data, so to speak. That's a pretty good idea. I guess the, the problem with the way that I work is I'm usually super busy. Yeah. And I never know when I'm done for the day. You're <laughs> so right. I, <laughs> that, well, and, and I'm juggling all different things, which is makes it tough to write a book doing that. But that's just my life, and I can't help it. No, I, I understand completely. One of the other tactics is actually doing it in a Google Doc because they save literally every single word. So just as another idea for some of our listeners out there, if you are doing a book and if you're worrying about losing data, Google Doc actually saves everything in real time as you're going. So there's a couple of little different tactics that you can use to help in that side of things. So, so with Google Docs like that, what if, um, what if you accidentally deleted a page? Um, yesterday, would you be able to revive that? I think there is an option to go into previous versions. I'm not 100% on that, but that is an awesome question. So I need to look at that because um, my VP of Customer Relations and I, we live and die by the Google Docs. Everything that we do, all the different drafts or templates, uh, probably a template that you saw prior to coming on the show, everything that we do is designed in Google Docs. So I'm going to make a note to look at that. But I think there are ways that you can recover uh, past drafts, especially if it's something done from a previous time. And I'm going to make a note to myself to look more into Google Docs, <laughs> especially because of the price of it. <laughs> yeah, it, it's well worth it. My team utilizes it, and um, I used to get used to it. The Devin, she had to onboard me a little bit with that process, but it really is helpful, and it's just a really smooth way that two people can work together on a file. I've had a couple of people on the show that have actually worked as a tandem that co-authored a book. I believe it was three of them. And they actually all used the Google Doc and they used it together in three different areas. So I think one person was in LA, one person may have been in Chicago, and they're actually working together and typing the the um, entire book together through that process. So it really is interesting how uh, technology has definitely changed our lives, to say the least. Yeah, and Microsoft better watch out. <laughs> Oh, yeah. when, when I read things like that, I start saying bad things about Bill Gates. But. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about the, um, the publishing side of this. So what do you feel is the hardest part about getting published? You know, it was, for me, it was a really long process. And the funny thing is I can't really even remember how it started. Um, like it was just it was like I, I ran across somebody that, was, that worked for a publishing house called EarthScan. And then things moved really slow, and it was a. It took a few years, and then their the name of their company even changed. It was like EarthScan merged with Taylor and Francis, merged with Rootledge, and all the people that I was working with changed. And then I guess probably the hardest part is 
meeting deadlines, which I think is beyond hard. It's almost impossible. Um, well, especially if you live, you know, you also live another life. And, um, and so it's like meeting the deadlines. I have a feeling you, you might know better than I do that people just don't meet deadlines. And um, I guess there's also just different kinds of people, but you know, meeting a book deadline is pretty difficult, but just, um, that's, that's difficult. And it's, it's a lot of work because you, you, you come through and you put all your, you put all your material down and then you have to edit it like the editor wants. If you're using, if you're using an editor and, and, and get permissions for all, for all the images and the tables, um, the, at least the type of material that I'm writing, I have to get permission for all that stuff. And, um, and then there's the proofreading it and just budgeting the time. And also I think too, it's writing a book is like, it's really easy to put off and it's really easy to get distracted by emails and text messages and things like that. So at some point I've tried to go on, go on a diet where I just turn off everything. And, and one way, one way that actually works pretty well for turning things off is when you're 30,000 feet in the sky mm-hmm. <laughs> and with an airplane, you don't really get good internet if you get it at all. And that keeps the distractions down. But another thing too, though, is when I'm writing a technical book, I'm always, you know, it's very helpful too to go do the Google search and find out, you know, new material and different angles on things. And, and so it's, it's always going to be a, you know, a, a, a little bit distracting looking those things up when something else finds you and it just, you know, it takes discipline. So I would just say, you know, try to be disciplined. Um, try to, you know, write as often as you can. Another thing that happens to me too, is that I'll get some urgent thing in my life and then I'll, um, I'll almost take like a month off from writing and then to go back and go, did I write this already? Did I, you know, did I already talk about this that way? Did I use this joke before? And, um, and so it, it's, it would be a lot easier to just sit down and write the whole book. <clears throat> but, but life has its way of keeping us busy. And my, and my main job is teaching these solar classes. Um, and the book goes along pretty well with that. Um, but that, that, well, there you go. That, that was my answer. <laughs> well, I got a few follow-up questions on that. So first of all, is your book part of your course at, that you're teaching? Well, the thing about my courses too is a lot of them are customized. So typically the way that it goes is I go in and I teach a course and the book is optional, like people can buy it. Sometimes the people that I'm teaching the course for will include it in the course. I try to get them to do that, but that's not always the way that it works. And and so the way that I work is I typically other people will fill up the classes and then I'll go teach the classes and I teach all over the place, like in the I go to the, you know, all over the world. I've, recently I've been to India, Philippines, uh, Pakistan, um, te- teaching these classes. And it's, um, and so it's up to whoever I'm working for, how they want to go about that. And typically I just, it's, the book will, will be separate from the class. I try to get the people that are sponsoring the class to um, include the book in the, in the course. And then a lot of times too, what they'll do is when they include the, the book in the course, they'll even just, they're like, how do you want to get the book? And it's like, just buy it on Amazon. They'll ship it right to you. It makes it a little bit easier that way. Um, but I do have, I, I can also hook people up with a publisher. Um, but they're, you know, they're all different ways of doing that. And then this course, are you teaching this at the university level? Or are you teaching this as a seminar? How are you actually teaching this? 
Yeah, so the solar industry is growing like, like crazy, beyond exponentially almost. And the price of solar modules, uh, solar panels, has gone down about tenfold in the last 10 years. So pretty much just move the decimal point. And so that'll kind of just give you an idea of how much cheaper it is and how it's taken off like crazy. And so there's a lot of people that just need to get um, educated so they can implement this stuff. And so if you go, if you took a solar class on the university level, you'd be more theoretical stuff that's not as practical in general. So like a, a university solar class would be something like, you know, learning how to make solar modules or you would be, become an electrical engineer and have to learn all this other stuff. And so really what I'm doing is I'm teaching people how to change their career to solar. And I have everything from people that are, you know, unemployed or in and out of jail um, on one end. And I have uh, the other end, I'll have classes. A lot of my international classes are full of engineers. And, um, and so I just have to gear the class towards who's ever in the class. And, um, and, and it's like, there's, there's no common thread there. Everything that I do is kind of different. Absolutely. And then going back to the other point too, about the deadlines, one of the things that we do with my publishing company is we actually lay everything out. For instance, we'll go through the entire publishing process where we're telling them, hey, first 10 to 15 days of this, what we're going to be doing is going through the edits and we're also going to design your book cover. But I also emphasize is if the book is large, I mean, if the book's like 80,000 words, then obviously it's going to take a little bit more time. So we always try to set the expectation going, okay, it's going to be two to three weeks for this. It's going to be two weeks of this area. Once we get everything together, we've got a format in. But we do try to have everything laid out. But you also want to have flexibility that, well, not everyone's going to make their deadlines. So, yes, is it, um, is it an expectation that we'd like to get this done in 15 days? Absolutely. But sometimes we might need a few extra days. Sometimes we might need an extra week. So I think it's just setting those expectations out early and walking people through a timeline. And I think that makes deadlines a little less intimidating when you can make the expectation that, yes, we, are, we expect to have it done this day. However, if you need a little bit more time or if our editor needs some more time, then we can have that flexibility. But I think the main thing is just having someone as, as their guide and communicating clearly through the entire process. And I think if you do that, then it makes things a lot easier to get things done. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, that, that would be great. And I think, I think with me too, though, with my life, it's like somebody, I don't know when my classes are going to happen. And so somebody might say, I need you in two weeks um, in a place that takes 24 hours to fly to. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'll, I'll have every intention in the world. Like when I went to India recently, I had every intention in the world of, you know, finishing the second edition of my second book uh, on the, in the air. And then you get on the airplane and you're kind of tired and you get a seat that doesn't have too much leg room and the, the computer's right in your face and the person in front of you tilted their seat all the way back. <laughs> and, and then there's a good movie on. <laughs> you're absolutely right. And, and the reason I mentioned that is typically when I fly now, I fly either business class or first class. And the main reason it's not for any type of proud thing like, hey, I'm going to be in the fancy seats, nothing to do with it. It just makes me a lot more productive. So I was on a flight to Vegas last month, flew first class, both there and back. And on the, on the leg there, I was able to get so much done work-wise. I had two iPhones going and my iPad, and I was able to sit back, relax, be comfortable, and get a lot done. However, on the, the, um, the plane trip back, I just relaxed and read for three hours. 
So I think that's one of the things too, is that you have to be comfortable. And sometimes you have to pay a little extra to get that business class seat or miles or go first class because it really does make a difference in regards to your productivity because you're right. Most of the time, you're not going to have Wi-Fi. If it's in a continental US, you might. But if you're flying over to Maui or flying internationally, you're going to have very little Wi-Fi available. So you got to be productive. But to be productive, you also have to be comfortable. Yeah, I've even noticed that um, Economy Plus, well, that's what, what I have when I fly on United because I have a lot of miles with them. Yeah. I think it's about two more inches, and it makes all the difference in the world mm -hmm. for, for for me. Um, first class, that would be great, um, <laughs> but I, I don't get to do that too often when other people are buying my tickets. Yeah. Um, but that, I, I was reading a, like another book that was actually trying to get me trying to get focused on you know finishing the book because it's so, with so many distractions, or I should say reading. I should I really should say it was an audio book, and it was called Deep Work. And I remember one of the things that it was talking about was um, some guy took a round trip ticket to Japan just so he could write a whole book. And he wrote a whole book uh, with like a first class round trip ticket to Japan. So that just so that he could really focus up there, went and spent a couple hours in the airport and turned around and came back. <laughs> you were the second so guest that's mentioned that story. It's pretty wild, but I tell you what, it works. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, let's talk about marketing, Sean. So. In regards to marketing strategies, please share a marketing strategy that you have used in your book launches that has worked well. Yeah, and so with my book too, it's it's a very niche market. And so most of the people that are reading my book are people that are getting ready for certification exams for something called NABSEP, North American Board of Certified Energy Practitioners. And there's no other books out there that are even that are like mine really. And, um, and so I pretty much, you know, I, I have this niche market. It's not, a, it's definitely never going to hit any kind of New York times list or anything like that. But, um, and I've had people like say that they went to take the exam and everybody's standing there with my book. They're like, Oh, yours is the industry standard for this exam. And, and, and people also, you know, they don't have to take the, or they don't have to take the exam to, you know, learn from the book and everything, but that's a lot of what comes out of it. And I and and so also I, I do a lot of talks at the different solar conferences and so a lot of people that are you know solar um, engineers solar designers things like that they already know who I am so it's you know marketing to the general public isn't going to work too well with a specific solar book I mean it's like as far as like who's read my book it's like none of my family's ever read my book and I don't expect them to because they're not solar professionals um, and and. And um, but it's a lot of solar professionals have read the book, and there's there's only so many solar professionals in the world, and so a lot of them are people. I mean, I've taught thousands of people in my classes, so a lot of them are people that have taken my classes, and the industry's growing, so that would mean that the target audience for my book is growing, and then also the publisher that I work with, you know, they'll have their little marketing campaigns, and it turns up on Google and it turns up on Amazon. Um, and, um, and I guess that's kind of, I, and I try to market myself, um, anyway, any way that I can too. And I figure I'm kind of good at doing that just, you know, for marketing myself for classes and getting out there. Um, but that's kind of about it. I, um, it's a little bit different, I think, than most people when they're, they're marketing to a more broad audience. So mine is just more of a niche audience. So, mm -hmm. 
Well, let's talk about your favorite book. So what is your favorite book and what was the number one thing that you learned from it? So, yeah. And so I, I guess I would have like a couple of different ones. So like my, um, when I was younger, I read a book a couple of times called Earth Abides. And that was like my all time favorite book where the, um, and it has nothing to do with, you know, the topics that my book's about, but I just thought it was kind of neat. It was a, it was a story about how, Everybody, it's kind of like everybody in the world dies off except for people that have rattlesnake bites. And I just thought that was kind of an interesting, I don't know, I like the story. My history professor had it required reading and some other professors did too um, in my life by coincidence. And then another book that I read that I really liked was called The Next Hundred Years by George Friedman. And this guy like is predicting the future for the next hundred years. And I thought that that was kind of amazing. Um, and all the different ways that he sees, um, you know, like, is America going to be strong? Who's, what are the other countries that are going to get strong? Are they going to do solar power from outer space and beam it down to Earth and things like that? And, and so there we're getting a little bit into solar. And then I mentioned, too, when I was talking, answering one of your previous questions, that, that book called Deep Work. That was kind of a good one because it helped me focus on things instead of getting too distracted. Because in a digital age, it's really super easy to get distracted. And multitasking sounds like a good thing, but then it's really you're just losing track of what you're doing and it takes time to get back and focused on what you're doing in the first place. So that was a good audio book. And then there's another book that, I just, um, that I've been doing recently and it's, it's called Quantum Memory by this guy that's the seven time world uh, memory champion. Um, named Dominic O'Brien, and I, and I learned how to. I, I've, so I've just recently memorized pi um, to 100 digits, and I actually only spent about a couple of hours doing that. And then um, when I can't sleep at night, I'm just like going, okay, 3.14, you know. <laughs> and and, it, and he's got these neat techniques, and I kind of think that that with education in general, if people spent like even up, up to like a year, just learning how to memorize things uh, in creative ways, it would be really good for their future and education. If you could just like memorize anything, it takes a lot of creative creativity to do that. And I'm just a beginner at memory. Um, and, um, but it, it just seems like it's something that would be very, very beneficial for somebody say going to college to be able to just like, you know, memorize things quick. And for a final question, what is your favorite quote and why? So Albert Einstein said something like, um, make everything as simple as possible, just not simpler. And so that's one of the things about my books, too, that I think sets them apart from a lot of other um, books and educators themselves just teaching classes, is I try to use normal words to explain things and, and analogies instead of talking over people's heads. So if when I go to these scientific conferences, sometimes I present at a scientific conference, and you're sitting there and you have these people that are the smartest engineers in the world, and nobody in the audience knows what they're talking about. And I try to be the opposite of that and make things simpler, but, you know, Einstein said not too simple, but I try, you know, I try, try to approach as simple as possible. Sean, I wanna thank you for being a guest on this show. What is the best way for people to find you online? So I guess I, I have my resume posted at MaximumPowerPointTraining.com. Um, and that has my email address, my phone number. I also have um, like a bunch of websites that I, I kind of joke that, that I say, oh, they're kind of from the 1970s. 
because I always want to update them, but then I just get you know too busy with life to make the website like I want it to. But I, you know, I so I have WhiteHouseSolar.com, uh, SeanWhite.org, WhiteHouseEnergy.com, and uh, and PVStudent.com. Well, Sean, I want to thank you once again for being on the show, and I wish you all the best in your author journey ahead. Thanks so much, Paul. Thanks for having me. Thanks again for joining us today. To learn more about how you can be featured in our brand new Get Published Business Book, go to GetPublishedPodcast.com. Thanks for listening to the republishing of the Get Published podcast. Sean White, using your book to become the industry standard. And that was an interview by best-selling author Paul Brody. Thank you very much.